Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We finally made it to chapter 12. We worked hard to get there and we are there. I hope tonight you're ready to be challenged. And uh, knowing you guys, I bet you are. (laughs) I'll bet that that's exciting to you. Uh, But let me offer uh, something crude before we get started. (laughs) But what I mean is a crude analogy or sort of a rough analogy. Um, Sometimes in the scripture, it's like God is telling us what's on his mind. It's as God's revealing sort of his, his thoughts to us through the scripture. So we're getting things like, hey, this is the truth about this issue. Uh, this is how things really are in the word of God. We're getting a revelation of God's nature, the who he is, his plan, his agenda. We're getting a Christian worldview through the scriptures. Um, we also get things like theology, doctrine, apologetics even in the Bible. So sometimes it's like God's revealing what's on his mind in a sense. And in other times it's like God's revealing what's in his heart. And this is where God's like trying to say to us, I think, internalize this. Let my heart impact your heart in this area. Take what I am passionate about and be passionate about it. Take what I care about and let it be your goal and your highest lofty call in your life. So he wants us to internalize these things. This is what we do with the stuff that might be on his mind. It's like the stuff that's in his heart Um, to get it like into the mission of my life. So I think that that's kind of where we're at today. We're getting into a new section in Romans 12, a new section of Romans. And um, while it's a crude analogy, because we've we've had a lot of God's mind and God's heart throughout the book of Romans, for sure. But really, now we're sort of taking what we've learned and we're saying, and now do this with it. Like, now get it into your heart and life and carry with it. So let's, uh, now that we've made it to Romans 12, painstakingly brought our way there, let's back up one verse into Romans 11, verse 36. And I want to recap, this is where we ended last time. It says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So of God and from, and from God and, or excuse me, of God and through him, right? And then to him are all things to whom be glory. So the purpose of life, the purpose of existence, creation, salvation, all of the above is for God. So we're kind of launching from that concept into Romans 12 verse one. Don't read 12.1 as though 11.36 didn't exist. It's a connected idea. Remember, these chapter divisions in your Bible were added, you know, many generations after the text was written for the convenience of being able to refer to passages. Oh, chapter 12. Oh, chapter 4. We all know what we're talking about. But for those of you that can never remember chapters and verses, just know they weren't written by the authors. So (laughs) make yourself feel a little better if you're like me. Um, So here we are. Here we are, new section of Romans, chapter 12, entering into some really practical application of everything we've learned so far. And I love this. I think that Romans 12 will stand out to you, and you'll remember it better maybe than you did Romans 9, 10, and 11, because it was so technical in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But Romans 12 just gets really down to earth and very practical. I remember uh, as a a musician, or at least something like a musician (laughs) that I am with guitar, I remember being in music theory classes. And they're, they're teaching me about all these things, like this is what a tonic is, and this is, and here's a triad, and uh, you know, here's the, the, you know, various inversions of chords and things like that. And I remember it not really landing with me very well. It was kind of like this is a lot of memorization, but I don't see how it applies. And then I had a music theory class taught by a guy who played professional acoustic and electric guitar, and what he said was, "I'm going to teach you music theory as it applies to guitar." Now, that's, that's a rare thing, because music theory is really written for piano, probably more than anything else. 
Uh, but he said, well, teach it to you as it applies to guitar. And so what I did was, man, I just was like a sponge in that class. Like I was like soaking up. Here's what I do with the first and the third and the fifth and the sixth. And, oh, I get it. I get it. A relative minor. I understand. And it all clicked. And I was able to apply these things well. And now I teach other people the same thing when I, when I teach guitar. Um, I think that here, Romans 12, we're hitting a spot where it says, and now here's what you do with all this stuff as a New Testament believing Christian. Like it's like right into our lives. The application is very easy, very direct. So here we are, Romans 12, verse 1, which is as far as we'll get today. <laughs> but I'll read verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to unpack it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, everything I think in verses one and two centers around one main theme, living sacrifice. And this is a really unique theme. This isn't like a super common thing back then to call people a living sacrifice or something they did a living sacrifice. Generally speaking, sacrifices were dead. So this is, this is a unique thing and everything else about it, the present and the beseech and the therefore and the mercies of God and the holy and the acceptable and the reasonable service, they all sort of connect to this idea of being a living sacrifice. If you, if you think of it like this, you do those thought bubble exercises, you know, where you, where you, you brainstorm, you, you draw a circle in the middle of the page and you write down an idea and then you, you branch out little bubbles around that idea and they all relate to that central theme. And that's how I see verse one here. Verse one, the central theme is living sacrifice or sacrifice even. And then all the other stuff branches out from that. So that's what we're going to do is we're going to start the, the best way you could start a, eating a fresh cookie. We're going to start from the middle, uh, the living sacrifice part. And then we'll work our way out into the rest of the verse from there. Um, so, so here we go. Uh, what exactly is then a living sacrifice? Because you're supposed to do this. This is something we're supposed to do as, as believers. Well, a sacrifice in general, let's take away the living concept for a second. A sacrifice is animals or food, typically animals or food, animals or produce that were given to God as a sacrifice. Now, the thing about giving them to God, especially uh, back then, whether they were Jewish or Gentile, they understood the idea of sacrifice. They even had pagan sacrifices. So they knew that when you sacrifice something, it's gone. Like, I don't have it anymore. I sacrificed this goat. The goat's dead. The goat's gone. No longer do I have access to this thing. The idea is, I don't own this anymore. I've given it up. It's gone. It's not mine. I can't use it anymore. It has, in a godly sacrifice sense, it has a holy purpose now. And that purpose is something better than whatever I was going to do with it because I've given it to the Lord. That's the idea. So it's given over to God, an offering, something I do not own anymore. But what is it that's being sacrificed in Romans 12 verse 1? It's not, it's not just you, it's your bodies. That's interesting. Because I could, I could say, well, I'm a sacrifice to the Lord. And then I'm thinking about the hardships I go through. Oh, it's so hard being me. All my first world problems, you know. Or I could be thinking about um, how, like, my heart is, is sacrificed to God. My heart's devoted to God. But he really says it's your body that's being sacrificed to the Lord. It's your physical body that's being offered. So I'm to say basically that my, this body is yours, God. Here's the sacrifice. It's my body. But before you kill yourself, let me, let me explain the living part. <laughs> because that would be a misunderstanding. Um, a terrible one. 
um, we're a living sacrifice because you're not intended to be reaching your demise in the process of making this sacrifice. There is such a thing as martyrdom or making that ultimate innocent sacrifice for the Lord. But there's something that we're all called to do, which is living sacrifices, meaning that not me on an altar suffering, but rather my daily life, my daily habits, the things I do with my body are for the Lord. I'm alive because it's a daily moment to moment life unto God in a physical sense. So then I think we start to sort of go, am I doing that? Like, am I having a living daily life for God with my body? Let me read to you um, a, a passage I think is like kind of a parallel idea. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And this is the same idea about being a sacrifice for the Lord. It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own. You don't own you. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, and that was the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's G-O-D apostrophe S, right? Your body and your spirit, which belong to God, are property of God. So he purchased me with a price, and therefore I should glorify God, it says in 1 Corinthians, with my body and my spirit. Now, sometimes we, we emphasize the spirit side of things, right? As, the, as we have a time of worship, I'm glorifying God in my spirit. But what about your body? That's the, that's the focus here in Romans 12.1. This needs to be said. This needs to be said because so many people think that Christianity is like joining a political party. Like joining a club. Like I'm part of the Christian group now. Oh, I like this group. That's nice. It's got perks. I've got people I know and that sort of thing. But really, they're, they're sort of thinking of Christianity as though being a Christian resides primarily in your opinions about things. Not necessarily in the devotion of your life to a thing or to a person who is God. That that's what it means to be a Christian. I mean, how different are you after you're saved, after you're a believer in Jesus? Is it pretty much I'm the same except I hold certain opinions now? I, I've changed affiliations? Or is it a life thing that's transformed? I, I live for him. He bought me and, he, and I belong to him. Now, to, to do this, to be a living sacrifice, I'm going to challenge us tonight to, to not look around at other Christians as though the other believers around you in your circle are your example of what it means to follow Jesus. I'm encouraging you not to do this. To stop for at least a little bit in your life right now and say, I'm not going to look at them and say, whatever they happen to be doing, that's normal Christianity for me. I'm going to go beyond that. Because... Our example is not other Christians. I mean, I'm supposed to be an example for other believers, but I'm not the biblical example of a believer. No, not really. Philippians 3.14, Paul said this. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, here's Paul, who you would think is an awesome example, and he's talking about how he's pressing forward toward that goal. What's his goal and his prize? It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God's calling me to live higher than the way people live in this world. And in this life, the example for Christians is Jesus. Let me say it again. The example for Christians is Jesus, not other Christians. It's Jesus. That's why Paul could also say, follow me as I follow Christ. He's like, hey, only follow my example as much as I emulate Jesus. Other than that, you know, 
don't follow me. <laughs> don't, don't do what I do because he's still reaching forward. The clear instructions for our lives are in the epistles. And I think that this living sacrifice idea, I really believe that God's calling us to live a much higher life, a much higher call than many of us realize. So we're going to look at a few passages. So if you would uh, turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple passages. And here's what I'm asking us to do. Kind of take in your head the image of what you think a godly Christian is and erase that image just for a moment. And let's let scripture fill that image for us. Let's let the Bible give us, give us our calling afresh tonight. Second Corinthians five verses 14 and 15. It says for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. That's Jesus dying for us. Therefore, we're all dead to that sin, to that, that non-God life. And he died for all that, that, or to the end that, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. My goal, my, my agenda, my thing is to live for him who died for me and rose again. That, that on that blank slate that you just created, you should be like, I'm living for him. It's not for me. I'm not just... Living a good life, I'm living a for life, for God life. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read a big chunk of this because I want to let the word of God, I just want to soak it in, right? Like this is, here's the calling. Here's the heart of God towards us as Christians and how we should live our lives. And perhaps, perhaps you need a reminder of the kind of life he's called you to live. Ephesians 4, verse 20, and we're going to read all the way through five, chapter 5, verse 11. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather... Let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. There's that sacrifice concept again. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know 
that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who's an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Do you see the connection between that verse and verse 2 of Romans 12? To know to pro- prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Verse 11 then And have no fellowship, no fellowship, none, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them. To me, just just reading through that passage, I'm just like, I mean, whoa, the calling that's on my life to be in Christ, it's it's intense. I remember years ago when I was a a teenager, someone asked me, um, they said, are you going to be a pastor? And I didn't know why they asked me that. But I I just went, no, like my gut reaction, just like without even thinking, I went, no. And then I, in my head, here's what I was thinking. The requirements are too strict. I don't want to be a pastor because the requirements are too strict of following Jesus, like really, you know, strictly. That just showed my, my worldly heart, my ungodly heart. Instead of delighting in all this, I was like seeing it as a burden. I wasn't living for Christ. I didn't see the connection there. I was desperately in need of being discipled, you know. You can see how this requires sacrifice, this kind of lifestyle, because it's not about you. You're not, you're not uh, living for you. You're a, you're a living sacrifice. You're living a daily life of dying to self to please God and to bless others. I like the old joy, the old acronym for joy. Jesus first, others next, you last, J-O-Y. I like that. I mean, that's a good reminder for us, but it really is quite true because selfish living is not going to work for me as a Christian. Like I can't live selfishly and live Christianly. Like the two just don't mix. It doesn't work that way. Lazy living is not going to work as a Christian either. I'm called to be a living sacrifice. I think if we're honest, the call to follow Jesus um, without, I'm not trying to judge anybody around me or anything like that, but I just want to be honest about the call, right? The call to follow Jesus has me reaching up to a higher standard than most of the Christians that I spend time with, right? Perhaps really this type of selflessness where it's not just about like, I dotted the I's, I crossed the T, I'm I'm, I'm not not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that, but rather this like selfless life of purity and holiness and love and, and attempting to be walking in righteousness, really. It's a pretty high call. So that's the self sacrifice, that's the living sacrifice. Now, turning back to Romans 12. Let's unpack this concept a little bit. So if if that's what a living sacrifice is, where literally everything I do in life, I do unto God. I live with God as my, as my chief thing, love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, love my neighbor as myself. And I'm way down there at the bottom because I'm the sacrifice. Then now let's unpack the rest of this because there's a wealth uh, of, of goodness. When you analyze a passage, I like to analyze each phrase and sometimes each word of a verse. Uh, I don't like belaboring it and like making it longer than it needs to be, but I really like to kind of get all that I can out of that text because I really think God wrote the Bible to be studied and read, both depending on, like I, we just read through Ephesians, but it also can just be pl- sort of like this patient, like turtle, the, the tortoise in the, in the hair, right? <laughs> the tortoise, like slow, methodic reading and study of it. So we're going to do the slow reading of it here. It says, um, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, 
I beseech you. I beseech you. That word beseech, literally you could translate it beg. I beg you. I'm begging you. I plead with you. I think Paul is really passionate about us being living sacrifices. And here's an interesting thought. Why does Paul feel like he has to make such a big deal about the living sacrifice thing? Why can't he just go, and now you're a living sacrifice. Of course you know this. Of course you're doing this. It's automatic. It's automatical. It just happens as a Christian. But instead he's like, oh, I beg you, please, please do this. Please do this. And you get this sense that that believers in general maybe need to be reminded or shaken up or sort of like see that it's God's heart, just like it's Paul's heart. Like I beg you, God's like, I'm pleading with you. Live for me. Live for me. Let me be the chief purpose of your existence, of your day, of all that you do with your body. I think when you get saved, uh, a certain amount of obedience is assumed in the scripture. It's just assumed that you're going to live out this Christian life to some extent, right? I mean, like James 2 says, like, you know, show me, show me your faith by your works. Like, prove to me that that faith is real. Well, you'll live it out. But we shouldn't assume that a successful godly life is automatically going to happen when we get saved. We'll see a change. We'll see evidence of the real faith we have. But, I mean, I take as a personal warning when I see people fall when I see pastors fall and think of how many people in the scripture started well and ended bad and ended sad. Like Solomon's like, it bothers me to read about Solomon and his later life and, and about how his heart was taken away from the Lord because of all this, uh, the sexual sin that he got involved in. Um, and I'm going, maybe it's supposed to bother me. Maybe it's supposed to get my attention and say, Hey, that could be me. That could be you. That's why we're, we're getting this beseeching Christian maturity and getting that well done, good and faithful servant, that is not automatic. That's something we, we actually contribute to. Now, I'm not saying we contribute to our salvation. Salvation is utterly free. I'm saying we contribute to our sanctification. We do. We do. We contribute to our growing in the Lord as you walk in these things. So that's, where the, that's why the beseech is there. It's, I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with your will to make this choice to be that living sacrifice. Also, we notice the word therefore. And when you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What's it there for? Yeah, that's obvious. Everybody's heard that phrase before. So what is it there for? Well, I think um, the therefore is there to remind us about our inspiration for being a living sacrifice. And so it tells us about all of the book of Romans, right? We've just been hearing about the glorious gospel of God, salvation through the free gift of God. He took our sins upon himself, wretched man, all this stuff. But also Romans eleven thirty six, which I read in the beginning, that everything was made uh, for him, right? By him. It was made through him and it was made for him. So both my salvation and my creation, they both say that I should be a living sacrifice unto the Lord. That's what I think the therefore is there for. So I wasn't just saved by Jesus. I was also saved for Jesus is the idea. That's the, that's the point. And then also another word we see in Romans here, 12, 1, it says brethren. Brethren, some modern translations say brothers and sisters. Um, which is fine. I think that either way is accurate because it's talking here inclusively about men and women. It's just talking to Christian brethren. Back in the day, that was a term they would use to refer to guys and girls. Nowadays, people are a little confused about that. Um, earlier today, I, I poked my head into the children's ministry downstairs and I heard them singing, He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. We all know that song. And, um, and then they sang the verse again and they said, He has shown thee, O woman, what, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. And I thought, you know, back in the day, a generation ago, 
Everybody knew he has shown the old man meant everybody, like mankind. But now we're moving to this new generation that's so weird and confused and, and honestly angry about gender stuff. It's kind of weird that they feel like everything has to be men and women, men and women, men and women, men and women. You can't just have an inclusive term. Uh, and even inclusive terms are considered offensive by some. But, but anyhow, brethren, here's all those who are in Christ. So the call to be a living sacrifice is not to pastors. It's not to missionaries. It's to Christians. Let's get rid of that idea like I had in my head when I was young, that there was a different call upon those who were in leadership. And you might be thinking, but doesn't James say that those who are leaders will be judged more strictly? And I would say, absolutely. Judged more strictly, but based on the same standard. There's a difference there. If you as a leader fall short of this standard, it's worse than if someone else who's not a leader falls short of that standard because they're not affecting as many people. So there's more strict judgment, but the standard's the same. Holiness in Christ is the standard. That's the call that I'm asked to step forward into. Everybody in Christ is called to this. And um, part of us, we, we wonder, like, what's my personalized call in Jesus? And when I say, what's my call? I usually obsess about, like, what ministry I'll serve in, what job I'll have, who will I get married to, you know, like, like maybe there'll be this great moment in my life where suddenly everything's a payoff, you know, and I get, and I share with the person who shares with the guy who does the thing and the thing happens, you know, and, and we, we tend to think about that as our calling, but we shouldn't focus on that. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It matters. But our constant focus should be our calling in Christ to live a godly Godward life, living sacrifice unto him. The other stuff is secondary to that. And we tend to find our calling naturally as we focus on the more important one. So let me give you a, a, a bit of advice here. If this calling is that high, then that means that we have to avoid a couple of mistakes. Um, we can't change the call to match what we see in the mirror. If you find that when you have an honest look at yourself, you always come out thinking you're totally fine, you're probably not having an honest look at yourself. <laughs> um, I also can't change the call of Christ in my life to fit my comfort zone or to keep with the traditions of those around me. The more I study church history and uh, doing online ministry, more like being aware of other, other churches, other fellowships, other traditions and groups and things like that, it's kind of like outside my bubble. And then you study things like, um, like uh, the history of like, say, Martin Luther or something like that, who was in one sense a great man, and in another sense he made some serious mistakes. You know, or Calvin, who was in one sense a great man, and in another sense made some really serious mistakes. And you look at these guys and you go, how could they not know? How could you make such a huge mistake? And we don't realize they were in this little bubble where when they looked all around them, everybody was making the same mistakes, so they thought it was just no big deal. They changed the call to match their bubble. And I fear I might do the same. That I might be called to a godlier life, but I'm just matching the bubble of those around me. So I, I'm, just, I'm just saying this. You shouldn't be going, what does Mike think I'm called to do? You should be looking at the text of scripture. You should be looking at the person of Jesus and just saying, Lord, help me see the calling that you've placed in my life. Help me, help me do this, even if it means looking different than my bubble. Because when I look back from, from the history of heaven, when I look back from that perspective, I'll be able to say, I conformed to God's kingdom. I conformed to Jesus Christ and not just to the bubble of those around me. Because we tend to all share each other's issues. You know, angry people hanging out with angry people, they don't think anger is a big deal. 
you know, carnal people hanging out with carnal people, they don't think carnality is a big deal. In fact, they like to use the word liberty for it. <laughs> you know, uh, self-righteous people, they, uh, they tend to think that that's just righteous, but they don't see the bitterness and the anger that's attached to this and pride. They don't see what's in their bubble. Wherever we're at, there's probably some flaws that we're just absorbing from those around us. So let's continue here. Romans 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present. That word present, it's the same word as yield in Romans 6.13. And I think there's a connection. Romans 6.13 says this, and do not present or yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members, that's your body, as instruments of righteousness to God. So another moment where he specifically mentions our bodies being offered to God. So it's in what you do. The present, the presentation is in what I do. Um, why do I linger on this point? Cause I've kind of been repeating it a little bit tonight is because I think we forget. We forget when we, when we do our, our robot prayers, right? God present me to you, Lord present me to you, a living sacrifice. And the scripture saying, no, you present you to God, a living sacrifice. But God, I don't do that very well. Can you just take over? Can you just do it for me? And the answer is, no, that's not how this works. I'm already empowering you to do this. Now walk in the strength I'm giving you. That's, that's what I get from Romans. Romans 6 in particular, I encourage you. You're struggling with, with sin that seems overwhelming that you can't overcome. I encourage reading Romans 6. Romans 6, and letting the theology there correct you. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, a verse I quote a lot because I think it's really important for us. It says, no temptation has overtaken you, such as is common, except such as is common to man. So it's whatever temptation you're feeling, that's normal kind of temptation. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also may have, make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Does that translate as God doesn't, you know, allow me to have more than I can handle? No, that's not what that says, actually. What it says is God is not allowing you to be tempted to sin to the point where you have no choice. So I still have a choice? I could say no? Yeah, I could say no. I have the ability to say no to that sin in Christ. Now think about this. Let's take what I'm talking about personally and let's translate this to a whole body, a whole fellowship of believers where they are literally at least in large part, offering themselves as living sacrifices to God. What a beautiful church that would be, right? Don't you guys want to go to a church like that sometime? <laughs> or be, this, be the church of that? I, I want to be this way. Um, I just, I think it's beautiful. I think it glorifies Christ to think of a whole church like that, to have this mind in us that is just propagating this, our bubble becomes godly, right? Our, 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 our sphere of influence and those we impact, we just start pulling each other up closer to the Lord and, and more righteousness and more holiness and more love and more compassion and more self-control um, and all of those things, whether it's grace or goodness, just being propagated in our lives. Now, if that's what Christianity is supposed to be, and that's what the church is supposed to be, then I, I have a comment because um, recently, in fact, I, those of you who, some of you follow this, I've had like another one of those debates online or discussions, more of a discussion than a debate with, uh, with, uh, Doug, the atheist, um, on his, on his YouTube channel. Well, one of the conversations, one of the things that we had talked about in our conversation was the idea that when he left Christianity, he says that he became a better person. Um, he became a, a, a better 
kinder person. I'm, I'm better to people. I'm nicer to people. And I just thought, if this is the call and you leave this call and get better, then you weren't doing it right. And there's actually, this is not about Doug, really, in all honesty, because he's not saying anything unique or anything I haven't heard through lots of atheists as well. I've heard plenty of people who say that when they left Christianity, they basically became either better or stayed the same kind of person they were when they were in Christianity. And then you got to go, well, then what call were you reaching up to when you were in Christianity? Because we're talking about a selfless call where others are before yourself. Self-sacrifice to God every day, all day. Love unto others, holiness, like no corrupt word out of my mouth, what's good for necessary edification, forgiving and gracious and thoughtful. This is the call. I think that if you, if you stopped being a Christian and your life didn't totally change, then you probably weren't doing it right. <laughs> so the question is, am I doing it right, Lord? Am I walking in the call you've given me or am I just living my comfort zone every day? That's the question. Um, also, and this is important because I just, I just heaped a bunch of stuff on you. So give me a second to make it slightly easier. <laughs> it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present. So the way that I present myself to God is by his mercy. It's by his mercy. Though the call is high, how do I get qualified to step into that call? Through pure mercy, that's it. This means it's never a question of, am I good enough to, to reach out for the call of God in Christ Jesus? The answer is no, you're not. You're not. Now do it anyways. By his mercy, you step out. Now, this, this can be balanced out. Like if you look at scripture, you'll actually see qualifications for elders, qualifications for deacons, like in the scripture, and husband of one wife, and you know, like not given to much wine, that sort of thing. But but this is, that's a qualification for a specific ministry. And it is entirely possible, I think, for the, the life I live to disqualify me for ministry in a particular way, like ministry as an elder, as a deacon, something like that. But I don't know if a Christian can disqualify themselves from being a living sacrifice, which means that whatever they're doing, they're doing it unto the Lord. I don't think you can disqualify yourself for this because you do it by his mercy. Now, maybe some mistakes you've made mean you're not going to be in this particular role or that particular role but you can still live every day unto the Lord and be a living sacrifice for him fully and in all that you are. And I think that that's maybe a balanced way to look at this passage as well as the qualification passages we read about in the pastoral epistles. So it's by the mercies of God, by his mercies, because otherwise I'm disqualified. I get up every morning and be like, I don't deserve, I don't deserve to serve you, Lord. That's not the question though, is it? The question is, does he deserve for you to serve him? That's the question. <laughs> And the answer is always yes on that. Um, so we're also called, there's some more words here, more words in this, in this verse that we must, we must slowly analyze and unpack and squeeze for every bit of juice. Like you put the, all the juice out of the orange. That's what we're doing here. Um, so God is uh, calling us to live uh, by, the, by his mercies, to offer ourselves. And it says to be holy acceptable to, and acceptable to God. These are two different things. First, holy. Do you know what holy means? Well, holy means sanctified or set apart or pure without blemish. That's the idea, without blemish. I think in, in reaching for holiness, I'm trying to get my condition on earth to match my position in Christ. I'm trying to put on that new man that we read about in Ephesians and be more and more Christ-like to walk in sanctification, set apart, consecrated, like I belong to God, just like that sacrifice. It's not mine anymore. It's for God now. The holiness of the believer seems to be in two different two different sides of the coin. One is 
singly for God. The, my purpose is for God. I'm set apart for God. I'm not of this world. I'm of, of the kingdom of heaven. And then to the kind of purity that he's calling me to in that. Um, I like what he says in Romans 1, 7, how he writes to, uh, to the believers in Rome and he tells them they're called to be saints. Like I'm called to be a saint. That's what I'm called to be. And that word is holy. Same word in the Greek, hagias. So it has to do with like a degree of purity, not my comfort level, not my tradition, not my bubble, but what I see in the scripture as my call. But don't forget by mercy or you'll just go cry yourself to sleep. <laughs> so I'm also acceptable to God. That word acceptable to God, that concept, it's about being pleasing to God. He likes it. Is this acceptable? Is this meal acceptable to you? Oh, yes. Tastes very good. You know, it's pleasing to me. I am to offer myself a living sacrifice acceptable to God. In the sacrifices in the temple, in fact, I heard a pastor one time talk about them, about how the Jews would be taking these sacrifices in and the altar was there. And so there was constantly the slaughtering of animals and then the burning of the sacrifice. And they said, it must have, I mean, this is what the pastor said. Sometimes pastors just get on a weird kick. And he said, it must have smelled horrible and all the death and everything. And I was like, you know, I read the Old Testament and I'm pretty sure it smelled like barbecue. Because um, these were, there was the altar of burnt offering, you know, and you've got, it would have smelled great, actually. And then there was incense. There were pleasant aromas constantly coming from the temple. The idea is that the sacrifice was a pleasant aroma going to the Lord as it went up. That's the symbol. And so my life, when I live for God, doing whatever I do that day, plumbing, reading a book, talking to my kids, calling my mom, which I should probably call my mom. Whatever I do that day, when I do it unto the Lord as a living sacrifice to him, seeking to put on the Christ-like character and do it for him, myself last, God first, others next, that's a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. That is acceptable to God or pleasing to him. It makes him pleased. This means that it's personal, that this, this idea of being a living sacrifice is not this burden I'm heaping upon other believers, Rather, this is, this is about fulfilling my relationship with God. This is a beautiful, personal, relational thing. I'm living for him. If you're living um, for the work of the Lord, but not the Lord of the work, then you're missing this part of the verse. You love doing the work of God. I want to do the work of God, the work of God, the work of God, but, but you're not doing it for the God of the work. You know, then, then you're missing this part, the pleasing unto God part unto the Lord. And this is like uh, me living above everything that's going on in the world around me because I'm living unto God. This is, I think, why scripture, when it talks to children and it says for them to obey their parents, and it's, it's because it's pleasing to the Lord that they obey their parents. That's the reason. So they're living it, they're obeying parents unto God, not because their parents are perfectly right about everything. When, when wives are told to submit to their husbands, it says as unto the Lord. Meaning maybe he's not, you know, right or maybe he's not that easy to submit to, or maybe he's not really earning my respect right now, but I'm going to do this unto you, God, because this is really about my relationship with you, not just him. Isn't that interesting? When husbands are told to love their wives, they're told to love their wives as Christ loved the church so that my love for her becomes a reflection of my appreciation from Christ's love for me. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing unto the Lord. The workers are told, what, to work as unto the Lord. Do you get the idea? This is what's well-pleasing to God is that my goal, my agenda is not just to labor for God, but to labor unto God like it's for him. 
this is my deepest motive. It's not for church. My, my highest motive for ministry can't be uh, for you guys. No offense. <laughs> it's got to be for the Lord. And if it's for you, here's how you know it's for you. If you're doing ministry and you're doing it for, for people but not for the Lord, you know because you get bitter at those people. Because I'm doing all this for you. You don't appreciate it. You know, whatever it is. Like, you get upset, and especially if it's youth ministry, right? Because... <laughs> I'll explain some other time, but that's, that's how it is. But if you do it for people, you get bitter, you get upset. Uh, I, 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 on my way home, I pick up a dozen flowers and I, I bring my wife's French fries from McDonald's and I'm like, I love you. And she's like, oh, I'm not hungry. Oh, yeah, I get all upset. I'm upset because I, I didn't have that, that third dimension of doing it for the Lord. So I was doing it to really gratify myself. I was doing it to get you to respond to me instead of just doing it unto the Lord. So my deepest motive, it's got to be for God. And this changes how I approach everything. It brings in humility. It brings in easy submission because God's in the picture now. And a godly life, even if people around me aren't doing it, that's okay. I'm not doing it for them. I'm not doing it unto them. I don't need everyone else to change for me to have change in my life because I live unto the Lord. And then it also says that it is, second to last, our reasonable service. A reasonable service. That's what it says. Now, some translations have spiritual act of worship or spiritual act of worship. Um, and you might be like, reasonable service, spiritual act of worship. How is the same Greek words being translated these two very different ways? Well, let me explain. Uh, first, if it's reasonable, that's a Greek word there that, that can be translated reasonable or rational. The thing is, it's of the mind. It makes sense. It's logical. That's the, that's the idea. And really, living for God... What can make more sense than that? What makes more sense than living for God? He made me. He bought me. He loves me. He saved me. He made me for himself. Of course, living for him is the most rational thing I could possibly do. Some people, they think Christians are irrational for living for God. But the reality is it's completely the other way around. To live for less than God, that's irrational. <laughs> the things that people uh, make their idols instead of God are, it's weird. I mean, there's somebody out there right now, and the idol of their life is Pokemon. That's what they live for. There's somebody out there right now, and they love art, but they've made it an idol. Art is their idol. And I'll go, art's nice, but you guys, art is just like flavoring in life. It's not life. Somebody else, they've made relationships their idol. And that's why they're so frustrated all the time, because none of these things are going to bring you the full circle joy that the Lord brings as you live unto him. Those things are far too small. This is why I think God mocks idols, actually mocks them, ridicules them, literally mockingly makes fun of them. He says about a man in Jeremiah, there's a guy who goes out into the forest. He chops down a tree. He takes some of the tree. He fashions it into an idol. He gives it eyes, but they don't see. He gives it a mouth, but it can't talk. He decorates it, paints it with gold or whatever, and then he bows down and worships it. And with the rest of the tree, he throws it in the fire. <laughs> Let's think about this for a second. Like, it's just the silliness of any kind of, and the Bible says covetousness is idolatry, that this, these things, they, it, it takes hold of our heart instead of God. Um, the Christian life, what we're saying is the Christian life is the most rational life you can possibly live. And any, anything less than living for God is an idolatrous life, a life where you're, you're living for something really pathetic, something that ultimately um, is less than you. 
The guy that bows before the piece of wood, man, you're much better than the wood. The person that, that, that lives for art, like you're more important than art. There's something that's more important than you that does deserve your worship. That's God. Not these things. So there is a sense of rationality behind living for God. But then there's another way to translate that same word. Uh, logikos, the same, way, the same word there. You can translate it as spiritual under the, under the sense it means like the true nature of something. And I know that sounds weird. It's just a Greek word that has different meanings depending on the context. So let me give you an example. First uh, Peter chapter two, verse two, you know, this verse, the same word is also translated in a unique way in that verse. Normally you, we would translate it like rational, but sometimes context forces something else. So second, first uh, Peter two, two says that we as newborn babes should desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow thereby. You probably don't even know which one of those words was the word translated rational or reasonable. It's the word pure. Desire the pure milk of the word, the logikos, that, that's the word right there. Well, you can't call it the rational milk of the word, can you? It seems to have a different connotation there. So they, they say, okay, the word logikos, what it means is it's, it's, it has to do with the true nature of something. The real milk of the word, the, the pure milk of the word, the, the real milk, you know, milk sustains as a basic sustenance of life. Babies drink milk. That's right. That's what, that's what we start with. And so as a new baby in Christ, the real milk is God's word. So in the same sense, you can translate it in Romans 12 as spiritual or um, uh, true, your true act of worship. And then that word service, <clears throat> that one's easy uh, because the word service is uh, is referring to not just any kind of service, but it seems to refer to temple service, like when the priest would serve in the temple. So that's why they go, okay, well, service, worship, these are two connected ideas. And sometimes as Christians, we, we tend to think worship is sort of one-dimensional. We focus on music, right? Um, like you could go to a worship event, like here we have, and, and you know it's going to be music. But what if we did a worship event where all we did was come to the church and clean? And that was our worship. And there was no music. <laughs> but that's what this is talking about. This is talking about a kind of like physical body worship. I'm, 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 I'm serving God with my life, with my body. So that's worship unto him. So um, I think Colossians 3.17 summarizes it this way. Whatever you do in word or deed, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Through him. So... We are beseeched, we are called to live daily, moment by moment in everything you do, whether you're walking on the beach, whether you're going to your job, whether you're doing your, your family responsibilities, um, where you're just taking care of your own health, your own physical health, whatever you do to do it unto the Lord. Let God be the reason for the things I'm doing. Let him be my ultimate motive. And then I'm offering myself a living sacrifice unto him. This, it seems so simple, but I really think that we need to be beseeched again. So I'm going to give you homework. Here's your homework. And this may take you a few years. If you have not done this yet, start compiling biblical teachings that tell you what your calling is. To be tenderhearted, forgiving others, even as God in Christ forgave you that this is in your mind and in your heart, to be slow to anger, slow to wrath, quick to listen, that that's, a, that's part of your calling. 
to be working in your in your employee status as unto the Lord, as an employer, to be treating fairly your employees and not withholding their wages, not not basically giving them an unfair cut. Um, that there's there's this. There's all these specific passages in the scripture that tell us how we're to live in Christ. And I think we just need to get these more in our hearts and minds. I mean, maybe, maybe as I read through Ephesians, it was like, yeah, wow. Oh, wow. That's really, I kind of forgot about that stuff. You know, maybe that was your attitude. Well, start compiling these things because this is, I think, what's on God's heart for us as Christians. To live for him, to actually live for him. Not, not just works-based living, but relationally being a living sacrifice for the Lord. So I hope you feel challenged. I really, really hope you feel challenged. And, and the last thing I'll say is this. Maybe someone in the back of your mind, you're thinking, Mike, we're not under the law. Mike, all this stuff you're talking about, we're not under the law. Um, I just want to say, yes, you're right. We're not under the law. And nothing I've said tonight suggests we're under the law. We are called to the heart of God. And we are called, even after Paul labors in Romans, to talk about free grace. To talk about how we're saved by faith. Not under the law, but through Christ. And then after all that, he says, now I beseech you. Now that we've got this ironed out, the gospel. Now go live for him in everything you do every day, all day long. Live it unto God. Let's pray. Um, Father, our prayer right now is that you'd help us to internalize these things. We ask for for the ability to look beyond our bubble, um, to not match the any of the compromises of those around us, or we don't want to look at people like to judge them. Or That's not the point. We want to look to Christ and live unto Christ and live a godly and a holy and to live a living sacrifice life unto you, which is our reasonable service. It's our spiritual act of worship. Nothing could make more sense. So, we just pray that you'd give us uh, biblical minds and, um, and prepare us, Lord, even as we venture into verse 2 next week, to talk about um, what it means to have our minds renewed. Lord, we're, we're asking for that. As we offer our bodies to you, begin renewing our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray.